The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I can't promise a show as good as Cole Anthony's post-game interviewing skills, but I can give you guys my all. And that today is going to be, I think, maybe a little bit less than usual. I know that you guys think it's dumb when I talk about anything going on in my personal life at the beginning of a show, but this last weekend, I actually did a thing for basically the first time in like 19 months. Some of that was by choice. Some of that was pandemic-related. We had a, a baby two weeks into the full country lockdown, so that does kind of limit the amount of things you can do. But I went out of town. I attended a wedding uh, to a good friend or a wedding of a good friend, and um, lost my voice a little bit. I don't know. I guess it's like I wasn't really in practice communicating at loud volumes with other adult human beings. Not that I've been communicating with adult anything. Adult llamas. I'm talking to them a lot. So anyway, uh, I don't have the higher octaves right now. I think they call this party girl voice, but we're going to see if we can bust our way through a podcast with it anyway. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, everyone. I'm your host, Dan Vespers. You can follow me on Twitter, at Dan Vespers. Mostly because I don't know how to use the other social medias. I don't know how to use Instagram. I don't know how to use TikTok. I don't know how to use Snapchat. I do know how to use Facebook, and I would like to avoid having to use it at all costs uh, in perpetuity. I don't know what the hell meta is, but I can tell you I probably won't know how to use it. Anyway, on uh, Twitter, it's D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, or just Google search Dan from Hoopball. One thing I am excited about, it's funny that I come back from my first two days without a show since uh, September 30th without a voice. October, uh, yeah, boy, wow. Oh my goodness, I really screwed this one up. It was more than 36 shows in a row, guys. We actually started this streak on September 27th. I forgot about that. Because October 1st was a Friday, so we rolled right into that weekend. So it was actually 40 shows in a row. Good God. I must be some kind of moron. Yeah, clearly. Clearly I'm an idiot. So it was actually 40 shows in a row. I got it wrong. It wasn't 36 in a row. Man, I count on you guys to correct me when I say dumb things like that. 40 shows in a row, then I take two days off, go lose my voice somewhere, and come back and... Sound a little bit like hell, but we'll push our way through it. I'm really excited today because it's our first reverse chronological lightning round Monday show of the year. For those of you that know what uh, Ricklerm stands for, reverse chronological lightning round Monday, it's basically that we don't do shows Saturdays and Sundays most of the time. Haven't really since the outset, the inception of this podcast. I said right from the beginning, I need to take weekends or I'm going to lose my mind. Because the basketball season's long. You can't, I mean, a show every day for like 175 days in a row will make you go crazy. Uh, but I thought we'd do something fun this year, and I guess a, a number of you found the podcast as a result of it. So to that end, apologies, sorry. We don't do shows during the weekend most of the time, and now that we're kind of settling into the, the swing of things, we're not going to be. Uh, so because there's no shows on Saturdays or Sundays, on Mondays, what we generally like to do is work backwards 
through the weekend, starting with the games on Sunday, then moving back to Saturday, and then if necessary, a game on Friday or two, basically analyzing the most recent activity of every team in the NBA. 30 teams. Every Monday, we go through all 30 teams' most recent ball game and kind of reset our brains when it comes to fantasy. And this is actually a really good exercise for me this weekend in particular because I was a little bit more detethered than I normally am to basketball and fantasy basketball data. So this is a way for all of us to come together on Mondays, look back at everything that happened over the weekend, and just sort of wipe the fog off of our glasses and remember what we were working on on Friday. Most of the time, I'm locked in all weekend long. Like, I could do shows Saturdays and Sundays if I had a quiet space to do them in and the time to do them. Uh, this weekend, obviously, I wasn't going to be able to anyway, so it's a, it's a really good fit, actually, for us to kind of start this season-long exercise today. This is the way Monday shows will be going forward. As many of you listen to on our Friday show, that's basically how our Friday shows go in general. We review the biggest stories of Monday through Thursday and then take a look forward towards the weekend. So I know you guys, you hate it when I take three or four minutes at the front end to explain a few things logistically, but I thought we needed to today because this is the first Monday we're doing it. I won't have to explain this going forward. Let's dive straight on into reverse chronological lightning round Monday. We'll start again, as mentioned, with the Sunday results, and we'll just work backwards until we hit every damn team in the NBA. Brooklyn beat Toronto on the road. Close ball game at halftime. Brooklyn pulled away in the second half. James Harden nearly triple-doubled. He's uh, settling in a little bit. I know only six free throws still for James, and he hasn't fully gotten himself to that loftiest of perches. But as you guys recall, after a few ball games, he was like number 55 or 60, and he wasn't taking any free throws. Now he's up to number 20. He's still shooting only 40%. His steals are also very low for him, and he's still only taking 14 and a half shots per ball game on average, even though if you look at this ball game, he took 20. So things are trending very much in the right direction for James. He will be fine. No one has any reason to worry about James Harden. Over the first week of the season, he was whatever it was, like number uh, 55 or 60. And then the second week of the season, he was like number 20. And so it's, it's, it's all coming around. This is why we talk about buy lows and sell highs with guys. He actually ever so slight dip this last week because the the steals and blocks went away and he had like an eight turnover game but it was one of the easier by low wrecks and it's coming through uh i only brought up harden because he did start kind of slowly the the real story on the brooklyn side right now is uh blake griffin seems to have mostly solidified himself as the center on this team and over the last week he's number 100 in nine category leagues on 11 points, eight rebounds, two three-pointers, four assists, no defensive stats of any kind to speak of, free throw number that has dipped from what's been generally better for him over the last couple of seasons, and then field goal percent, not going to be that great because he does shoot jumpers now, but it's nice to see the assists, it's nice to see the rebounds, and he seems to have kind of pushed himself in front of LaMarcus Aldridge, and we haven't had Nick Claxton around for a little bit, so that could be playing a role here. Is that going to be the thing that slices into it? Or is this a situation where he sort of became a streamer with benefits, takes the job, Brooklyn's played 
I would argue, relatively well over the last couple of ballgames after kind of a, a herky-jerky start to the year. They're now 7-3 and three after a five-game win streak. Is this the way that Blake's like, this is my job now? We shall see. I don't think anybody's racing out to pick him up in your leagues. If they are, fine. Uh, but you could, too. There's There's some weird mixed potential in there, given the people he's playing with. Meaning his usage isn't going to be very high, but what he does on the floor is going to be more efficient, even if that doesn't necessarily always mean he's going to shoot the best volume. It's just going to be good decisions. He's going to get assists because, again, the guys he's playing with, and he's going to get rebounds because this team doesn't really have any other big men on the floor when he's out there. He's the center. Toronto side. Now, I, I did say about a week ago that I was going to give Chris Boucher two weeks to see how this thing trended, and it has trended very notably in the wrong direction. And the the first thing to, to note is that Pascal Siakam came back in this ballgame on Sunday, but that would actually be doing a disservice to the analysis we needed to give to uh, Boucher's role in their previous game, where he also only played seven minutes, and Siakam had not yet come back. So Siakam actually didn't impact his minutes at all. They were just sort of going the wrong direction anyway. Precious Achua's hustle has pushed him higher on the big man pecking order. OG Ananobi and Scotty Barnes are just sort of better at this point. And, you know, you, you can't even... There's no point in discussing whatever's going on at the guard positions because that doesn't really have an impact on Chris Boucher other than, you know, if OG or if Scotty Barnes were to slide down and play any minutes at shooting guard. But we don't even really need to worry about that. The logjam has become severe. Achua, who was briefly sniffing value at the beginning of the year, doesn't really have any offensive game at all. He's basically a rebounding specialist at this point, and his minutes are probably going to trend the wrong direction also. Of course, if you have Pascal Siakam, you're in great shape because he's back now. You, you, It was three weeks into the season. That was the, the number here, so that's good. That was kind of the hope. If you took him going into the season, could you stay afloat for that short stretch? The fear, of course, is that is everything else up to speed with him? Is the conditioning up to speed? Is something else going to get hurt because he wasn't able to play with the team to start the year? So hopefully they gave Pascal enough time to get there. But I do think that at this point, you can put Boucher on the chopping block. We gave him the extra time. We didn't miss out on anything too magical by hanging on to him a little bit longer. And now we've seen that he just sort of I don't think, is part of what they're going to do this year. There were these little, these bleep, the brief moments where, like when Boucher got called out by his coach for sucking, effectively, like two games into the season, and Nick Nurse was like, no, I'm just not even going to play you. Uh, and he came back, and he played 18 minutes, a couple of games in a row, and looked actually decent. He had two steals and a block in one of those games, nine and four with a couple more steals. He actually got 18 minutes for three games in a row, had a 17-minute game in there. Actually, second season, second game of the year, he had 20 minutes, and that was his only real viable fantasy game to this point. But lately, seven minutes against Cleveland, eight minutes against Brooklyn. These are bad signs. It's trending the wrong way. 
I do now believe that I can officially give my okay. If you're in a GamesCap Roto format, it's probably still worthwhile to keep him glued to your bench because anything can happen. If Precious Achua gets hurt, his 27 minutes get split among Pascal Siakam, Kem Birch, who didn't play in this ballgame, he's been out, and maybe Boucher gets an inside track to some fantasy value, but it does feel like he's at least one injury, maybe even two, away from getting where we need him to be. And in head-to-head, where zeros kill you, He's kind of been a zero the last two ball games. It's not for real zero, but it's near it. It's, it's zero adjacent. He's dropped outside the top 250. His minutes are going the wrong way. And this is kind of the confirmation we needed. Was he going to trend up from 17 minutes into 20 to 22? Or was he going to trend down with Siakam's return or even before it? Because other guys just got better than he did, and he didn't improve because he's already kind of an older guy. I think he's like 28 or 29 already. Came into the league as a very old rookie. So he's going to have to show significant improvement. But the reason that I make this split, head-to-head in Roto, I think is relatively straightforward, so maybe I don't need to spend too much time on it. He has the kind of crazy upside that just isn't out there on the wire. You could look at almost any bench player on waivers right now or in the free agent pool and say, what happens if, if the guy in front of them goes down? What do they become? Most of them, you're like, they become like a top 110 kind of guy. If that. If Boucher gets action, he's top 40. So that's why in Roto, you almost just treat him like an injury stash unless something so incredible comes along that you have no choice but to move on. In head-to-head, you can probably move on. I thank you for sticking with him an extra week. Everybody, I, I get it. Look, this it's an L. If you took him, it's an L right now. And I ended up with him in a few spots. He wasn't really on my target board. There's still time, but to this point. So here's what I want to uh, draw this line in as well. I want to take responsibility on this podcast for telling you guys to hang on to him a week longer than a lot of other analysts. A lot of analysts last week said, it's time to move on. If you got him, screw it. And I said, let's stick with it two more weeks. We gave it one, and things got worse. So I think we can probably move on now. As that goes, that makes them probably more right than me on that. For me to say, let's give them another week, yeah, we didn't need to, as it turns out. But I would once again point to what was the real, what was the harm in week three of just giving it a little bit longer? Like, take Rob Covington. Now, again, neither one of these guys was like a Dan Bespris guy coming into the year. I know Covington has been one for many years, but we made quite clear this season that we were lower on him. You know, he was top 20 by totals last year and top 50 on a per-game basis. I said, look, there's probably going to be a drop back. Top 80, top 85, top 90 kind of per game thing. He probably plays in a ton of ball games, and he might still get to a top 50 valuation by totals, but it's going to largely be because he was healthy. But look, if you stuck with Rob Covington that extra week when everybody was telling you to drop him, you missed a top 65 last four games in a row 
for Rocco. And it's not like the numbers are going to blow you out of the building, but he's moved up. Instead of shooting like 22% on four shots a game, he's shooting 56% on six shots per game. And yeah, 56% is not sustainable, but neither was 30 or whatever he was at before, 28. So the last week and change, he's at nine points, three three-pointers, five boards, two defensive stats, which by the way, still on the low side for him. And he's moving back towards where, we, where our target was. This is why you give guys just a little bit more time because if you had dropped him, someone else would have been able to claim him off of waivers. You can't get your own guy back like that until they clear waivers. What did you pick up when you dropped Rocco? A Thad Young stream? Fine, I, you guys know I love Thad Young, but he's going to go back to being nothing as soon as Jakob Pertl gets rid of his COVID. And I believe most of these guys in the NBA now are vaxxed. I don't know what the the exact number is, but I do know that that's going to shorten their course. They'll be back sooner. On average, not every single time, on average, they'll be back sooner. So with that, what do you get? Two, three more games? If Rob Covington really is starting to find a rhythm, you might get 65, 70 games still out of him of better play. That's why... And I just use those two guys, Covington and Boucher, as an example, where sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. We held on to both of those guys. I said on this podcast, give them a little bit more time, just a little bit more time. And if it still is horrible, then you move on. But if you move on too soon, that's the move you regret forever. Forever. Gary Trent finally had a game without a steal, by the way. Scotty Barnes got all of them. He had five in that game. Orlando beat Utah. How the hell that happened, I don't know. Cole Anthony, 33 points. He really has turned a corner. Kudos to Cole Anthony for converting his game from points league only to category leagues. He's getting threes. He's getting steals. These are things that weren't really uh, common last season. And right now, Cole is a second-round player. In fantasy basketball, 20 points, 7 boards, 5 assists, a steal, 3 threes. And his field goal percent is not completely obliterating your fantasy team. So if you drafted him, congrats. Not many people did. If you picked him up, even better. I have him in like two spots. So I thought, oh, what the hell? Let's see what happens here. Uh, That is pretty real. Now, I don't know what's going to happen when Markel Fultz comes back. But it does seem like Anthony is... uh, more is too important right now for them to take out of the mix. It almost seems like it'll impact Jalen Suggs even more. Wendell Carter Jr., Mo Bamba, those two guys are just rolling along until Jonathan Isaac comes back, and then we'll see how things sort of reshake themselves out. And the only other note on this game is that Chuma Kiki is still kind of stuck in that 20-minute roll. So uh, as noted before, he's very much still in the wait-and-see department. Let's see how things shake out. Nothing on the Utah side, so we'll move to Indy Sacramento as the next one, uh, this pair of teams. Miles Turner, 12, 15, and 5 blocked shots. Miles Turner, uh, perennially undervalued fantasy player. He's number 18 in nine category leagues right now. 18, 14.5 points, 8.5 rebounds, 3 blocked shots per game, good field goal percent. Can he stay healthy? I don't know. Uh, everybody hated him on draft day, and I, I don't know. It seemed like he was a pretty good value where he was going. Easier to draft than Roto. 
there was fear, I guess, that that Rick Carlisle was not going to play Miles and Demonis Sabonis at the same time, but that was never really going to make a ton of sense because they're two of your better players. Malcolm Brogdon was out with an illness, so T.J. McConnell got another start. He put up big numbers, and it, I, the T.J. McConnell thing is another weird one where I could say, oh, well, you know, thank goodness we all held on an extra week. He's still outside the top 140 on a per-game basis because he cannot make a free throw to save his life. And his assists are down a little bit. I, I think a lot of this stuff levels off. It's not entirely clear what his job is going to be when this team's fully healthy. We don't know. We just don't know. We see this like one game sample size, and then Brogdon gets hurt or gets sick or something again. But I, I think you got to hold on and at least see what it might be. We also got word that TJ Warren was out of his ankle boot. He's expected back in the next one to two months, whatever the hell that means. When healthy, he takes Chris Duarte's job on this team. There's sort of no way around that. Uh, Karis LeVert didn't end up impacting Duarte quite as much as we expected. Enough, I think, to say that Chris is uh, likely not going to be inside the top 100 here in the short term. Uh, And on the Warren front... You know, normally I'm a fan of stashing guys relatively early, but I I don't think he's going to play very well. He's had this foot thing, so his conditioning is going to be a disaster. And he was already someone that was, like, teetering right on the brink of could he get a little bit heavy if the wrong situation arose. So I don't think you need to stash TJ Warren at all. They're going to ease him back into this thing. Uh, A long foot injury is one of the most dangerous, I would think, to try to come back from quickly because not only... Are you now putting a ton of extra pressure from the lack of conditioning on the actual injured part of yourself? You you haven't really done significant basketball activities for him. It's been a year. I don't think you need to stash him yet. I think we're I think it's a little bit ahead of the game. If he gets to his top 50, top 60 range where he has been in the past with Indy, I don't think it'll be until February. No change on anything on Sacramento's side. Their fantasy stuff is just sort of cruising along. Still, sadly, waiting for De'Aaron Fox to do anything uh, significant. While uh, hoop ball favorite Tyrese Halliburton sits at number 37 in nine category leagues right now. And it doesn't even look like he's played all that well yet. Washington beat Milwaukee. Yeah, Washington, man. They keep sneaking out wins when nobody's paying attention. Kuzma was better. He's all over the map so far this year. If you told me to guess what Kuzma's season rank was, I wouldn't have the first clue. But I will tell you, it's 146. Because even though he's averaging 14 and 10 with two three-pointers, he's shooting 42% from the field and 48% from the free-throw line. Yikes. People are dropping Daniel Gafford left and right, and they're nuts to do so. He had 11 and 8 with two blocks on five out of six shooting. That is exactly what you drafted Gafford for. He's at 110 is his rank right now, but uh, he had the injury game that's kind of clouding that. If you pull that one game out, he's like right around top 85, top 90, which is pretty much, uh, at least for me, that was kind of my target for him on a per-game basis in 21-ish minutes per game. And if that number ever climbs, even a little bit, Montrez Harrell gets hurt, if Gafford has a particularly strong ball game, that's how you get those little top 40, top 50 weeks mixed in from a very consistent blocker, rebounder, field goal percent guy. It's easy to handicap. I don't I don't know why. I mean, that's again, we did an, a whole rant last week on 
the sort of the misunderstanding of expectations in fantasy basketball, and Gafford could be another one. Cleveland, they're a news team. Probably should have done the news first on this show. Colin Sexton out long-term, torn meniscus in his left knee. That's bad news. You know, I, I feel like a lot of people expect me to say something like, ah, I told you so on Colin Sexton. No, that's dumb. That's not how this works. I faded Colin Sexton because of his fantasy game. Not because I thought some sort of catastrophic knee injury was going to happen. Dude was outside the top 200 before this knee injury. That He was not a fit, fantasy-wise, before the injury. This sucks for the Cavs. Cleveland's actually playing relatively well so far this year. I mean, not like they were... Uh, running away with the division or something, but they were set, they're seven and four right now. That's pretty good. That's a six seed. Not they played so many more games than half the NBA, but they've won four in a row. And then to lose Colin Sexton, that stings. But they're gonna go to a Ricky Rubio at point guard lineup pretty often now. Darius Garland will probably slide up and play a little more off guard. And Rubio has a chance to be a top fifty guy for however long Colin Sexton's out. He came in and didn't skip a beat. Ricky with a season high, is this a career high? 37 points, 10 assists. Yeah, I mean, I don't. we don't need to go a whole lot farther than that. But thanks to that giant ball game, Ricky's now at number 95 on the year. He had fallen because he his shot, he hadn't scored in like a week and a half. But he's going to have to now. He's going to have to just do stuff. And this is just a wide open runway. Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, Darius Garland, those guys are all easy starts right now while the Cavs wait on Lowry Markkinen and Kevin Love to get over COVID. Mitchell Robinson had what appeared to be a really nice ball game but missed some defensive assignments, and then Nerlens Noel got 30 minutes. So this was the whole, you know, what's the point of having a really good backup? Well, there you go. Uh, for Mitchell's sake, 8.7 rebounds and five blocked shots in 17 minutes is a pretty, a pretty nice look and boosted him up to number 113 on the year in 9-cat. Needed those block shots. And then on the Nerlens Noel front, well, it's hard to really know. He's played in three games. He's averaging 4-8 and eight with 3.7 defensive stats, 83% shooting, but he's only taking he's only taking six shots in three ball games. And he's made all three of his free throws in those three ball games as well. So a lot of that stuff is not fully sustainable, but he makes for a very interesting backup. And as we've talked about a thousand times, it's probably going to be around 28 minutes for Robinson and 20 for Nerlens when they're both healthy. Most games, that doesn't mean all of them. And in 20 minutes, Nerlens Noel is inside the top 100 throughout his career because of the ridiculous defensive stats. If anything happens to Mitchell Robinson, well, we know what happens to Nerlens. We saw that last year. He was top 50. Both of those guys are questionable for their next ball game. Oh, well. Uh, San Antonio at Oklahoma City. Yikes. Can't lose that ball game. Thunder are accidentally winning a few right now. OKC at 3-6 and six, and now actually sit a half game ahead of San Antonio in the Western Conference. Oopsies. Uh, Drew Eubanks had a weird big fill-in game. He had a feeling one of those was going to come up somewhere along the way because he was getting the start, and he went for 14-11 and three blocks. Dad Young came off the bench. 10-8-3 and eight and three with a steal and a block. He's been a terrific fill-in for Jakob Pertl. You can just keep rolling with that. Mostly because he's a little more trustworthy than Eubanks. And otherwise, you just stick with the, the usual fare. On the OKC side, Mike Muscala got real hot. 20 points in 14 minutes. The hell? Yeah, I don't know. Shea nearly triple-doubled. 
low-efficiency triple-double, but nearly one, nonetheless. And uh, Josh Giddy's the other guy we're all sort of quietly paying attention to. He's at 124 on the season right now. Hopefully trending in the right direction, but you're seeing his stuff being weighed down by the fact that he doesn't hit three-pointers, and both of his percentages have been bad. They call that rookie-itis. Happens to the best of us, but he will get better as the season goes, and it all comes down to whether or not you guys can wait for that stuff to materialize. I'm not even through Sunday, and we're almost half an hour into this thing. Warriors beat the Rockets 120-107. Daniel Tice came back for this ballgame, played 21, actually pretty good minutes. He's he's starting to settle in a tiny bit. Alperin Shengun, a brutal 5-for-12 at the free throw line. I mean, this is the thing. This is the thing. We, we I, I feel like it, it's broken record time on the podcast. He's number 210. Analysts telling you that he needed to be started quickly have, sh- have short-term memory loss. Because it's the same thing with rookies every year. It's overwhelming. The rookies that play well, the rookies that put up numbers out of the shoot are the ones that can shoot a high field goal percent. Those are the ones to target. Evan Mobley. I forget what show I was on. I don't remember what it was. Someone was like, Dan, who's the rookie you think could actually be a value to start the year? And I, of course, made the joke and did my usual thing, which is like, oh, what's a rookie? Um, and I said, look, the one, that's, the one that has the best shot is Evan Mobley. I also qualified that by saying I'm probably not taking a chance on it, which, in retrospect, that was a dumb thing to say because Mobley's been great so far. But he's also the only rookie out there where you're like, oh, this guy has a legitimate shot to play power forward in center minutes with a high field goal percent on a team that's going to be feeding him looks. Almost every other rookie, and there are a lot of good ones, mind you, have to do something themselves. The big surprise, I think, is Scotty Barnes, who's come in and been a scorer where everybody thought he was going to be rebounds, defense, and passing out of the shoot. And he was just like, oh, I'm going to do this other thing now. And he's averaging 17 and 9, which feels nuts, but he's doing it. He's To me, he's the giant surprise on the rookie side. And then you got all these other rooks that are banging around between 100 and 250. And if we're looking at the numbers like, why does it look this way? It's usually because of one of the percentages, or both. Chris Duarte. Had an angle here. First, there was no Levert, no Warren. Now it's still no TJ. He's hanging on. He's at 104. Good free throw shooting, but bad field goal number. And things sort of trending the wrong way. Remember, he was at like 85, 75, 85, and then it was 95. Now he's at 105. It's the same thing every year, guys. It's why I say don't draft rookies. It's not because they don't get good by the end of the year, but it's because there's like one that starts decent. I got all these rants I need to get off my chest. Otto Porter went nuts in 18 minutes, but again, in 18 minutes is sort of the operative term there. Uh, oh, by the way, over on the Houston side, Jay Sean Tate, his line's going to look ugly because he went 5 for 9 at the free throw line, but otherwise he was 21 and 10. So he now feels pretty well settled as the third guy that's going to get starters minutes and actually has some fantasy game. Jalen Green's going to get starters minutes, but doesn't really have fantasy game yet. Kevin Porter's going to get starters minutes, has some fantasy game, but also has those massive issues we've talked about a thousand times. And Christian Wood is your general 
mostly safe play, although he's outside the top 110. And damn it, I'm really glad that I said don't take a chance on Wood because his free throw shooting, we have no idea. Too much swing. People were taking him at like 35 and 40. And yeah, if his free throws were good, he could be a top 25 guy. But if they're bad, we saw him after the All-Star break last year. He was like top 140. And there he is down there again. It's hard to play on a really bad team. I don't know what the hell happened to his free throw stroke. It really has gotten bad. He's in the mid-50s now. Uh, Jordan Poole's been good again, so is the pendulum swinging back into the useful category? Anyway, uh, Clippers beat the Hornets in the later game on Sunday. Lamella Ball, solid again, although there's discussion of why he hasn't had quite the number of minutes that everybody wants him to have so far, that he's getting kind of yanked around a little bit. But he is number 10 right now in nine category leagues, beating all expectations with his 96% foul shooting. That's a big deal, and three three-pointers a game. A lot of the other stuff you could kind of see coming. I don't know if the big usage spike on shooting was necessarily an obvious thing, but the fact that he now makes all of his free throws is pretty remarkable. Miles Bridges had a good ball game, which for him is uh, less impressive. He's now dropped to number nine, but man, what a year. I still believe in what I said on Friday, which is the fact that he still had a good game here in most people's minds solidifies him as a top-tier player, even if this particular game wasn't as good as what he had done to this point. It was still good enough for people to say, damn, he's still playing well. So just keep letting him play well. All you need is a decent to good performance out of Miles. And anything giant is just icing on the cake at this point. But he played so well his first five, six, seven games that now he's locked into that spot on the board that everybody looks at, the player rank page. It's going to take a while for him to slowly slide back down, little by little. How far he goes, we don't know for sure, but he's not staying at number nine. But the beauty is, people are going to remember him as a late, mid to late first rounder longer than perhaps even as long as he's there. So if you're trying to sell high on Miles Bridges, again, I do think it behooves you to just let him keep hanging out in that upper crust with decent to better than good ball games, and then sell him before people start to realize that there's been this very slight uh, erosion, which is an angry word for something that I don't mean to be an angry thought, of just like, well, what if he's top 25 for a week? He'll still be around the turn, but people won't really notice that he's fallen back around. And then what if he's like top 40 for a week? People won't really notice. This is sort of what happened with Malcolm Brogdon last year. On the Clippers' side, uh, another big win. They, uh, I don't know, like a 23 to nothing run in this ballgame, I think. Paul George, an inefficient ballgame, but nearly a triple-double. He and James Harden kind of bookending our, our Sunday storyline with that stuff. Uh, Ivica Zubats double-doubled. They've needed a lot out of him with no Marcus Morris around, but still kind of uh, not quite enough for fantasy purposes, so don't really worry yourself with it. My favorite storyline is Nick Batum, who we talked about last week. I think one of the episodes was actually titled something about Nick Batum. I don't remember, but he's been awesome since getting himself healthy now. Uh, number 58 
in nine category leagues and just good across the board to this point. This is, by the way, uh, without really making a free throw so far. I think he's like one for four on the year. But he's getting the steals, he's getting the blocks, he's getting the threes, uh, scoring a little bit, rebounding a little bit, passes a little bit, generally passes better than what we've seen so far, but they've needed him to actually do some scoring. Reggie Jackson continuing to take just an absolute ton of shots, and they're not still quite going in as often as we'd want them to, but I do have to point out, once again, he's number 125 while shooting a high-volume 37.5%. All we need is for that to get to 40 and he's a top 80 fantasy player because of how much it impacts everything he's done. At 17 shots per game, if, like, one extra shot goes in, that, I mean, that's, like, that's really all you need at this point. Uh, his scoring, is it a three-pointer? No, it'll be something between a two and a three. His scoring goes up from 17, 19 and change. The threes go up by some fraction of a thing. The field goal percent goes up. And so all of these things, he gets this this rising tide effect, or maybe the assists even trend up a tiny bit, and he can leapfrog forward very fast. Terrence Mann had a good ball game, 17-10, but unfortunately he hasn't been quite consistent enough for me to say this is a guy you need to trot out there. He's 118, which puts him kind of in the head-to-head totals department, streamer-level guy, streamer-level. Before we go back through Saturday and hit the other teams, because I think we've done a a little more than half the NBA at this point, uh, I do want to remind you guys to please do rate and review the podcast. If you have a moment, open the podcast app on your mobile device or iTunes on your computer. Search for Fantasy NBA Today and write something funny and or nice. And as I've said before, if it's funny, uh, I, I may be inclined to read it on the podcast. I don't know. You guys end up always writing nice stuff, which is really cool, and I really like it. And it's good for stroking my ego. Uh, but it, 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 you know, funny is probably what's going to get you on air. Uh, I don't know if you guys care about that. I don't really. Either way, whatever you can do is obviously very much appreciated. So please do continue to do that. I will love you forever. Uh, and also, good news. Our friends at Manscaped have agreed to partner with HoopBall for the duration of the 2021-2022 season. So we have done it, guys. A fantastic month of October. And this is the biggest month of the year for Manscaped with Black Friday and then Cyber Monday, which I think actually falls in December this time around. I don't know if that's always the case. Uh, We'll have amazing deals coming up for you over at Manscaped.com. I'll tell you about those very soon. In the meantime, if you want to get anything small right now, uh, please do so using coupon code HoopBall20. That'll get you 20% off and free shipping on your order at manscaped.com. And if you want to hit me up about anything at all, whether it's recruiting, whatever, you guys know where to do it. It's at Dan Bespris on Twitter, as we mentioned a little bit earlier on in the podcast. Let's go back back to Saturday, where we can... Does that take care of... No, I don't think that is the rest of the NBA. might be. It's close. There's a couple of teams that didn't play over the weekend. We had to talk about Houston a little bit in that ball game. Uh, Denver was on the winning side of a needlessly close affair. Nikola Jokic has now settled into his very familiar spot atop the fantasy rank board. There he is, number one. Your world's safest number one pick is your number one pick. Surprise, surprise. The bad news, of course, in this ballgame, Michael Porter Jr. left with lower back soreness 
and uh, red flags and alarm bells and the whole thing was going off everywhere because now we're all looking at it like, oh, everything we've seen for the last two and a half weeks all makes sense now. Why can't he shoot the basketball? Dude's in pain. This is rough because, unfortunately, it means that uh, all of our holding or buying low is now going to take a little longer to cash in because uh, this is this is the one piece of news you can get on a buy low that ruins the whole the whole damn thing, which is, oh, it wasn't just a statistical anomaly. It was an injury. It was some physical thing. I guess it's good that it's not in his head. Uh, he's just hurt. So now you got to wait it out. Wait for Michael Porter Jr. to get better. Hopefully this isn't a thing that uh, lingers throughout the entire season. But in the short term, you kind of have to just wear it. Also in the short term, this means even more for Will Barton, who continues to be one of the bigger surprises in the early going. This is like three years ago, Will Barton. He's number 67. Just keep trotting him out there. We'll see if anybody else can step up. Uh, there's, there's a hope that someone like an Aaron Gordon can do enough, but his fantasy game is just riddled with holes, and I don't see how he gets up and over that hump consistently. So then who's left? Do they go P.J. Dozier heavy at the small forward spot? He could weave his way into value. Do they go small? And you see, do they ask more out of Amante Morris? I think you can take a little bit of a wait-and-see approach here on the Denver side. We talked about Utah already. Miami got a triple-double out of Kyle Lowry, who's now really settled in. Bam Adebayo had six assists in that game on Saturday. And I got to say, this isn't an I-told-you-so moment, because that's one damn ball game, and, and it'd be idiotic of me to like sit back and go, ah, ah, ah. But here's the thing. It was never going to stay... Wherever the hell it was. I forget. It was like one, one and a half assists with Bam. He's at number 54 right now. Uh, with the assists coming in the right direction, they're at 2.4 on the year. And I said, I, I think what I said on the podcast was, yeah, he's probably not going to get to five like he did in previous seasons because they do have Lyrie. And Hero is playing better, Tyler Hero. His assists are up. So they don't need to run as many th- things through Bam. But the note I thought that was sort of indicative was that Bam's turnovers were still really high. So he's still handling the ball a lot. He's just turning it over. As those come down and his passes end up in the right place, the assists were always going to come back up into the threes. That was the target mark if the, with this current iteration of the team. The reason that his value is as low as it is right now uh, is because his defensive stats haven't really been there. Bam's back up to his around a steal a ball game. And I know he's not a massive shot blocker, but only half a block per game is weighing him down a little bit. Uh, And I'd love it if the 52% shooting actually came up ever so slightly on a team getting as many good looks as the Heat do. Will Bam get to number 17 this year? Probably not. Could he perhaps play the rest of the games this season without missing one? It's a possibility. And that was always the reason that he was such a safe second rounder is that kind of like DeAndre Ayton last year, even if the per game number was low, Ayton ended up at number 20. He hit his ADP last season because he played in most of the ball games. I think Bam actually ends up beating his ADP because I do believe his per game number comes up and his health is always pretty good. 
They missed the ball game with that knee thing. Let's uh, let, keep an eye on that. Uh, Jimmy Butler is still trucking along. He's he fell back what one or two slots. He's now number five in per game ranks this year. I think we can probably deal with that. And Tyler Hero, sixty one percent shooting in this ball game, still somehow keeping that thing from falling off the map. He's at number seventy nine. Hanging on, sell while you can. Philly beat Chicago. This is another news team. Probably should have done that at the outset. Joel Embiid now into protocols. He joins half of the damn team in protocols, which means it's Andre Drummond time in Philadelphia, uh, and everybody's going to have to do a ton. Furkan Korkmaz, Tyrese Maxey, Shake Milton, whoever's left. Paul Reed got the start in this win over Chicago. He has an opportunity to do some stuff. I'm not saying you have to pick them all up and just throw them all into your lineup because nobody has that many moves in their head-to-head league. But as, as, as Roto goes, Drummond is easily the safest play. Maxie is probably your second safest play. Shake Milton might actually be the second safest play. You could call that a little bit of a toss-up. George Niang relies a little bit too heavily on the three-pointer for my sake. And then Reed is a bit of an unknown so I might let that one play out a tiny bit before I went diving face-first into it. As replacements go, Drummond, Milton have the easiest fantasy game, and then Maxi is kind of in that next, and Firkin Korkmaz, frankly, are kind of in that next tier, maybe with Niang, or maybe ever so slightly ahead of him. On the Chicago side, the guy everybody's been kind of semi-tracking is Alex Caruso, and my thought for many shows has been how long can the steal rate stay at 2.3, and the answer is probably not forever, at which point he likely falls outside the top 100, and you're stuck, well, sadly, sadly, just starting the four guys with name value on that team. The Dallas Mavericks have quietly been much better than people realize. They're 6-3 and three so far this year, despite not really playing all that well. But they got KP back for this one. Luka, game winner, held off a giant Boston rally. Good to see Jason Tatum finally get it going. He was all kinds of out of sorts. And one giant ball game for Jason has bumped him all the way back up to number 68. A couple more of those, and he'll be pretty close to where he needs to be. This game probably closes the door on a buy low for Tatum. Uh, Jalen Brown, another little piece of news, uh, out for at least a week, maybe more, as they tend to an ailing hamstring Last time, and then this time as well, he missed time. Dennis Schroeder was the guy who really stepped up. You're going to see more Josh Richardson, certainly, with no Jalen Brown around. So, uh, I, But is Richardson a 12-team guy? Probably not. Schroeder, yes. Richardson, probably no. I'm still waiting on my guy Dorian Finney-Smith to actually settle into where he probably belongs. I mean, he's really... The road to nine, road to top 90. I, I'm going to stick with that because it's funny. Um, if his shooting percentage levels off, he actually could end up kind of near that top 90 mark. But as I said before, there's no upside there. Jalen Brunson came off the bench for 35 minutes. You saw the number of shots, the usage, all of that was lower now with Kristaps Porzingis back in the mix. But you can hang on to, to Brunson just to kind of see how this thing goes. I don't know if I have the stones to start him in a games cap format. He has fantasy holes that we all sort of refuse to see. Uh, and it's why he's number 120, despite 15, 5, and 4, because minimal steals, doesn't shoot free throws well, all that well, doesn't make three-pointers. It's this weird... It's like the things you'd expect would be fine aren't, 
and then that keeps him from reaching the next level in fantasy. But he does need to be on your roster because right now he's getting a ton of burn and he's the guy they want taking kind of the third most shots on the team maybe all year. He seems like he's kind of jumped Tim Hardaway Jr. in the pecking order, at least in terms of actual shot attempts, if not necessarily the starting spot and minutes. Phoenix ever so slowly waking up here. Devin Booker, big ball game. Chris Paul has been an assist monster so far. He's averaging 13 points and 12 assists so far this year. And our good buddy CP3 is number 11 on a per-game basis. Uh, Jay Crowder, same old story. Uh, DeAndre Ayton was back out for this ball game. JaVale McGee started 6-5 and five with a block, foul trouble. I'm surprised he didn't get a second block shot. Frank Kaminsky, 16-6-4. Both of those guys are startable anytime DeAndre Ayton is out. But otherwise, not a ton of notes on this ball game. Collins, Trey Young, generally Clint Capella. Bogdan is getting real close now, and that's about as far as it goes on the Atlanta side. And then Portland smacked the Lakers around. Anthony Davis left with a thumb injury. There was brief, they briefly said it was a stomach thing. I think maybe he tried to play through that and then hurt his thumb, and the Lakers just pulled the plug on this ball game. Russell Westbrook, unable to keep the, the ship above water by himself. Yikes. One of 13 shooting from the field, six turnovers, and five for eight at the free throw line. Oh, my goodness. At least Carmelo Anthony wasn't terrible. Whoa. Dame was better on the Portland side. Nurkic was good. Covington was good. Uh, Larry Nance, probably in that same boat as Boucher. I think we can probably... I think I said that last week, actually, on Friday's show. You can you can drop him and just be ready to pick him back up if it seems like they're going to let him do a little bit more. And it honestly, it might just be Cody Zeller getting hurt or Yusuf Nurkic getting hurt. He might just be one injury away from being fantasy useful, but you don't need to squat on a guy like that when, like with Nance, the upside is top 75 if he had 25, 26 minutes of burn. And I talk about Boucher, that upside being top 40. If I was going to pick between who I was sticking on my roto bench and just squatting on like an injured player, between those two guys, it would be Boucher. Just because he puts up stats faster. And finally, back to Friday for the handful of teams that didn't play over the weekend. Detroit being one of them. Kelly Olenek, 14-10, got himself a nice little double-double. Isaiah Stewart played a few extra minutes. They basically split them, though. 8-9, a steal, and three blocks. This is kind of what we were looking for with those dudes. And I do feel like Cade Cunningham being around as, even if he's not quite the distributor they need him to be yet, he's going to make those guys better. Having someone electric on your team as they figure the game out, certainly, is going to improve the big men considerably. They need the good guard play, and with great apologies to Corey Joseph, he's not a good passer. He's adequate. Uh, we talked Spurs and Magic. We have talked Washington. Did talk Memphis yet. Jaron Jackson Jr. in a blowout loss at 13-9 and a couple of blocks. So that's good. That was... Uh, kind of floated him a little bit in a game where his whole team was terrible. JJJ's number 65 right now, still shooting just 34%. As that number comes up, like it always will for most of these guys, everything else will find its normal spot. Uh, the one, I mean, the big one I need to point out, it has to be John Morant, who fell from 12 to 46 over the last week. And a lot of those things that we were like, 
how is this where it is have gone away? Uh, most notably, free throws. He's gone back to being uh, a pretty goodly negative in that department. Um, he's still managing to shoot a really high volume, decent field goal percent, but that has slipped a little bit as well. Uh, we gave you every possible way of of kind of reminding you, hey, this is your opportunity to move a guy who maybe people are now thinking is a top 30, top whatever asset that he was the first week of the season. Over the last two weeks, he's number 125. Over the last one week, he's not inside the top 200. And I know you can't use that one-week sample size either, but you do need to take them all together because no one can put the amount of energy into 82 ball games that he was putting into the first three or four. They just run out of gas. Young, old, whatever. It's too many games. Steals are still really high for Jot, by the way, so there's still actually room to fall. If you can still get a top 50 guy for him, I think you really have to consider doing it. Any other teams we missed? I feel like there's one or two here. What am I missing? Come on, something jump out at me. Uh, Minnesota, not a whole lot to talk about there. Malik Beasley carving himself out a role here with D'Angelo Russell out, although it sounds like he's questionable and may return this evening, uh, which pushes Beasley back off the board. And also the the short-lived burst here for Pat Beverly probably also off the board. He fouled out of this ballgame in 27 minutes, and it was an ugly one anyway. So the hell with it. Uh, New Orleans continues to be terrible. Right now, they they appear to be the worst team in the NBA to start the the season. That's going to change as they get healthy. Brandon Ingram out. Uh, could return very soon. Zion out for we don't know how long. Herb Jones concussed. Wait, no. was I thought he got hit in the head. Now they're saying it's a left ankle. Regardless, I mean, they're down to their nubs. Lucky for those of us that drafted Jonas Valanciunas, they're down to their nubs. He's, he'll trend down a little bit as things go. JV now at number 16. Uh, I, I still think you should just ride that one out because you're never going to get the value you want back because people just don't believe that any of it was real. So just enjoy it. And then Josh Hart needs to be started in the short term. I think as guys come back from injury, that would be a good time to just put Hart on your bench for one game, maybe two games, see what his role looks like as the high usage guys move back into the picture. He's still not having any usage, even with everybody out, but it's almost like there he has to do some stuff with everybody out. And I don't know that he will have to when guys come back. Uh, but I, I do like Hart's game. He's a, a weird rebounding shooting guard uh, who hits some threes and gets some steals. So he should be on your rosters at least right now while we kind of feel this thing out. Even if you don't have the, the stones, and I don't at times, to start him in a games cap format, he's so damn close right now that you know, when the, the, if the chips fall the right way or if someone on your team gets hurt, he's a perfect fill-in opportunity guy. And that, I believe, is all 30 teams in... How the hell long did this... T- oh, my God, almost an hour, 55 minutes. All right. Uh, in lieu of a homework assignment tonight, I'm just going to tell you guys to follow me on Twitter. We'll do a what to watch for basically as soon as this podcast gets post- uh, posted, and we'll work from that. Busy day. Also, I'm hosting a Q&A in our premium Discord today. So if you have a premium subscription, head on over into the Discord. If you don't know what the hell I'm talking about, bug me. I'm happy to walk you through the steps of getting you in there. It's just a series of chat rooms, basically, where you can interact with the hoopball analysts, including myself, 
Uh, I host a Q&A every Monday on Discord. It's where I can really dig deep on your teams, try to answer those one-on-one questions that I generally don't have quite as much time for on Twitter. I mean, I get people, I get back to people on Twitter two days later, so I don't know how much help that is. Uh, with Discord, it's always fast. It's always fast. We're here to, to usher you through, and you get access to that with a fantasy pass over at hoop-ball.com. Voice is tired. Knees are weak. Let's get out of here. Enjoy your Monday, everybody. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. I am Dan Vesperus. We'll talk to you tomorrow. This has been a hoop ball presentation.